If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're continuing in a series that we've been in for a little while now where we've been studying the nativity story uh, from Luke's gospel, and um, we're coming to something that's just really familiar if you know the, the story of, of the nativity, if you've ever seen a nativity set, you're even familiar So we have our work cut out for us because what that means is we need to rescue truth from the jaws of familiarity today. And uh, so I'm going to read the passage, and then we are going to spend a little bit of time continuing where we've been. So this is Luke 2, chapter 8 through 20. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, they had, been, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Pray with me. Lord, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see this story today in in truth, to connect uh, with some of the the wonder of what's happening here and continue, Lord, to draw from us a song of response uh, this holiday season. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. We've been in this series for a couple weeks now talking about Luke's nativity, and one of the things that we've seen coming up throughout this is that there's just this response of wonder that comes from people as they're interacting with what's happening in time and space. One of the reasons that's happening is because angels keep showing up. They show up in all these different places and they bring this message and you see there's this thread, this common response that people have when an angel shows up and that is that they are terrified as any of us would be if an angel just showed up with a message. It would almost be really hard. It would, would be really hard to want to hear the message for fear that we were going to die in the process of that message being delivered. That's the response that you, that you get here. And yet there's this response that comes from people when the angel says, don't be afraid, listen. God is doing something. Listen. And they respond with these songs of wonder. And we talked last week about this, about what's the song in you as you think about this Christmas story? We talked about Mary's song, the Magnificat, the song where she, she magnifies what God is doing in bringing the Savior of the world to her, not just through her, but to her. And we dug into that last week. What is your Magnificat? What is your song of response, of praise? And I've talked with several people throughout the week and acknowledging it's just hard to know. It's hard to know because it's not like I don't know what the song is. It's that I don't know if there's a song in me at all. You know, 
The life is just, it, it is, is hard. It's hard work to live. And so today we have this opportunity to say, all right, let's continue on this thread then, thinking about what is the Magnificat, the song, the song of magnifying the great things in the world, the great things that are happening. And what is that for you? And what does it look like for us to continue to think about what what is my song of response to the Lord as I think about Christmas, as I think about this birth of of this baby? Because here's the thing. How you respond to Christmas says as much about who you think you are in this world as it does about who you think Jesus is in this world. If the news that Jesus, the Savior of the world, has come moves you very little, that says a lot about you. And I'm not saying that to heap guilt, but as a way of maybe awakening some curiosity. What is it about me? that would hear this story of the Savior of the world sent by God, this message delivered by angels themselves, and I would just yawn at that. So we're going to look at three responses in this nativity story. They're all responses that you've heard of or you've seen, and everything is familiar here. Maybe some of where we go will be surprisingly unfamiliar to you. But three groups of beings, I'll say that for the sake of mystery, Three groups of beings respond in very different ways to the news of the coming of the Savior. And my contention is that their response brings as much from who they consider themselves to be in this story as it is who they consider Christ to be in this story. And so my question to you is, what is your response to the Christmas story? And in that is this question that I want to ask in the kindest of ways, who do you think you are? The first response is these shepherds, you know? Why do you think shepherds are a part of every nativity scene that you've ever seen in your life with the little lambs and the little staffs with the little hook on the end, you know? It's just, it's just part of it. I mean, there's so many people, so many professions that could have been a part of this nativity story, and we have shepherds and wise men right, are kind of the main players outside of Mary and Joseph and the baby. Why shepherds? Is that an important thing for us to understand? And if if we're going to understand it, we have to know a little bit about the life of a shepherd in those days. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. Their lives were ironic, and here's what I mean by that. A shepherd's job was to tend animals that would be used as sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. Okay, So they worked watching over, caring for, tending lambs, many of which would be used as sacrifices that would be offered to atone for the sins of the people, the lamb in the place of the people. But, here's where the irony comes in, is that there were ceremonial laws and customs in those days in the, in the, in the Jewish system that they were part of that said, if you interact with things that are dead or things that are covered in filth, It makes you ceremonially unclean. So here's the thing. You have these shepherds who are ceremonially unclean because they spend their lives working with these animals that are ceremonially offered to be in the place of others so that their sins would be washed away. Does that make sense? You following me on that? It's kind of a little brain puzzle, but it's a fascinating place that these shepherds find themselves in because where they find themselves is they find themselves decidedly as outsiders. Outsiders by vocation. What they do puts them on the outside of their ceremonial culture. 
And what happens when you're on the outside of your ceremonial culture, especially when that culture is religious? I'll tell you what happens. People look at you as an outsider to the religious culture and they say, you must be, you must be untrustworthy. You must be irreligious for you to occupy this place. So shepherds weren't just ceremonially unclean, but because they were ceremonially unclean, because they did this job that was so filthy and that had them in in contact with death in the way that it did, people looked at them and thought, you probably shouldn't trust them. So that makes them even more outsiders. And then on top of that, they have this really dangerous job where their job is to protect these defenseless creatures from predators. You know, Jesus said a good shepherd, one who's good at this job, will actually lay down his life for a sheep. He'll put himself between a sheep and a lion to protect the sheep. So he has no society to which, no society looks at him with an amount of respect, and yet at the same time he's in a job where he may die, and the reason he may die is for the sheep that makes him unclean, but the sheep is important because it's offered as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. That's, that's your shepherd, right? So this is their life. In effect, the shepherd's life itself was a sacrifice. Now, it would be An easy thing for us right now to say, what does that have to do with us because we are not a ceremonial culture? To which I would say, are we not? Is it not true that every one of us in this room is profoundly ceremonial? In fact, not only are we profoundly ceremonial, but we've all been profoundly ceremonial today. And I don't mean we've come to church. What I mean is is that somewhere between your feet hitting the floor, getting out of bed this morning... And coming here, you went through a ceremony where you pronounced yourself clean. Where you said, there are things that I do every day that must be done in order for me to step out into the watching world and to say, all right, I am ready. I am ready to be a part of this society. For some of us, it is a very short ceremony. (laughs) But for others of us, It's a pretty involved ceremony, right? But what are we after when we're doing this? We're just wanting to fit, right? We're just wanting to not be cast out, but to be included. It'd be real easy for us to just say, this culture that the shepherds grew up in, that the shepherds lived in, we're not nothing like that, but we are. We're profoundly ceremonial and religious about our ceremonies. It's a very ceremonial thing to try to present a certain image of ourselves to a world that we can feel good about. This presentation of myself makes me an insider and not an outsider. I do not want to be seen as an outcast. I do not want to be seen as unclean. And I will go through the ceremonies that will make sure that that's the case for me. The shepherds, they were kind of like the the garbage collectors who went to the ball at the Bellmead Mansion still in their garbage collecting outfit covered in filth. That was the kind of outsiders they were. Can you relate to them? Because that question I just asked you, can you relate to them, has a lot to do with who you think you are in this story. In a ceremonial world, you end up with insiders and you end up with outsiders. You have those who fold effortlessly into the system, and you have those who just can't find a place. And the shepherds are decidedly outsiders in this culture, and the angel comes to who? To them. 
And he tells them that born this day in the city of David is a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now there's a lot of theological meat that we could unpack in just that statement. Savior who is Christ the Lord. Those three words, savior, Christ, Lord. What he's telling them is there is a divine God sent deliverer who is atoning for the sins of the people. So that's huge. But the angel uses an expression that brings just sort of a punch that is overwhelming and it brings such clarity to what's happening. It's not just that in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord, but the angel says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you, the divine Savior and Messiah had been born to outsiders, to the unclean. They're not outsiders to this gift. The angel is saying, you're the recipients of this gift. The angel appears to some of the most disregarded people in the land to deliver the greatest announcement ever given. You have a savior. And it doesn't just end there because God is an artist. He's a beautiful artist and he paints a picture. What's the picture? The angel says there's a sign. There's a sign for you that you would know that he's for you. What is the sign? He says that this angel or the Savior, Christ the Lord, here's where you're going to find him. You're going to find him where the lambs are kept. You're not going to find him in a palace. You're not going to find him in a temple. You are going to find him born into the filth of your world, in your domain. That's how they'll know that this Savior is for them. He's not going to be draped in fine garments, but he's going to be wrapped in a swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. The Savior has been born into the world to the lowest of lows, into their domain, where the lambs that were sacrificed for the atonement of the people of God were kept while they waited to be offered up as sacrifices. That is dripping with the gospel. That Jesus was born where the lambs were kept while they waited to be offered as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people in this unclean world of the shepherds. Okay. Did you know that? (laughs) Nativity scene, shepherds. What do they understand about themselves in this story? Why are they astonished at this news? It's not just that the Savior has come, but that he's come to them. And they understood certain things that that meant because they understood they were poor. The Savior has come to the poor. We're spiritually poor. We're outside of the spiritual community, even though we have this profound role in the spiritual community. They're culturally, socially poor people. They're outcasts, and there's really no hope for them to enter into society without leaving the world of the shepherd. You can't do both. But here's what they're hearing from the angel. They are on the mind of God. They are not forgotten or cast aside by God. The way they knew the Savior was for them was through this sign that their Savior was born into their poverty and into their filth. So how do they respond? They respond with curiosity that moves them to investigate. 
Is this you? Notice, the response isn't this automatic, I know everything that there is to know about doctrine and theology, I'm in the zone, I know everything that I'm supposed to say and do. No, it's just simply, they say, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that's happened. I'm moved to investigate this thing that the Lord has told us about. Are you curious about what's happened in the Christmas story? Because here's the thing. What Christmas tells us is you're on the mind of God. You're not forgotten by him. Unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord, even though you're poor spiritually. You're poor relationally. And you know this, right? Because you do damage in the relationships that you're in. You bring poverty to those relationships. You do it by just stomping all over people, or you do it by being a million miles away from being accessible. You have your way that you do it, but we have ways that we do it, right? Where we're just, it's hard to be in relationship with us. It's hard to be in relationship with me. And I have not been forgotten by God, and he has not cast me aside. So this is their response. Is there anything in you that moves you to investigate the news that a Savior who is Christ the Lord has come to atone for the sins of the people. Does this move you to investigate? Because if it doesn't, let me tell you a story of another group of people who it doesn't move them at all. It's not in the story that I read, but it's in a story that you know. There's these three wise men, or there's wise men with three gifts. I don't know if there's three wise men, but there's wise men with three gifts coming from the east because they've read the Bible and they've read the scriptures that talk about this coming Savior who would be born... And they come, they follow the star because they're curious, they're driven, they're compelled. They end up in Jerusalem. They talk to Herod, like the worst person in the world to ask about this. And that's who they ask is Herod. Uh, and, and they say, we're here because we heard that the one who's born king of the Jews has come and we're looking for him. It wigs Herod out because there isn't supposed to be any king of the Jews. There is supposed to be Caesar and he's the king and no other. So when he hears this, he's, he's alarmed. He's kind of like... Um, Okay, I need to know what's happening here. What are they talking about? So what does he do? This is from Matthew. This is Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay. Herod the king heard this. He was troubled. And all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So the chief priests, the scribes, he gets them all together. There's this prophecy. What's happening here? And so they tell him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What's so sad about this is this is the religious leaders. Herod is summoning them and he's saying, hey, these guys are here because they've heard that your Messiah has been born. What's up with that? And they say, well, yeah, the, the way the story goes is that in Bethlehem, which by the way, is from here to Brentwood, from, you know, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is here to Brentwood. 
Yeah, Savior has been born, and that's where he's going to be born. Uh, he's going to be ruler and shepherd over the people of Israel. And they're just telling him this like, like it's just they're reciting an academic paper that means nothing to them, like it's a myth, like it's a legend, like it's a fairy tale. They're completely unmoved by the story of their own Savior coming. It's not real to them. It doesn't move them. It doesn't matter to them in any way, shape, or form. It's only the most central prophecy that they've ever studied, the coming of God's Savior, His Messiah. But they have a rhythm to their ceremony already. And so they talk like academics, but they are not interested in going to investigate themselves. They are unmoved. What do they understand about themselves? Because this is telling us a lot about who they think they are. What's the difference between these folks, the religious leaders, and the shepherds? Here's what I think. I think that the religious leaders have plenty of God already. They've got a lot of commands that they keep on a regular basis. They have a daily routine, things that they tend to on a regular basis. Not just that. They've got respect in their communities. They have power. They have a legacy. They have a little something to leave their kids and their community. They have this place in the world. And so they've settled into this way of living and moving and having their being. That when the news of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem reaches their ears, they respond with just this yawn. So that's how the religious leaders respond. At this point, it would be really easy for us to just move into a tirade about how ridiculous religious people are. Maybe, maybe even to feel a little bit good about ourselves for being part of a community that says, you know what? We seem to be a place that rejects a lot of the pomp and circumstance of American evangelicalism at its worst. We're not donning the walls with, with flat screen TVs and buying multi-purpose centers and having programs. For, and that's because we're authentic. That's because we're real. That's because we're doing it right in ways that others are just sort of, you know, just going through the motions of things. And I just want to say it's not their religious beliefs that have them stuck in their stale inactivity. It's their slavery to ceremony that has them stuck. And you have a ceremony, and I have a ceremony, and then we get stuck in it. We get stuck in it. It's the thing that says, this is how I live and move and have my being. And when things come into this world of mine that tell me I need to live a different way, I need to respond a different way, I need to think different thoughts, or I at least, at least need to investigate I got, I'm busy. I got things I do, you know? And there's a pride in recognizing empty religion in other people. And Christians and churches can be easy targets for this, but let me just get in your business for just, just a minute here and ask you, what are the ceremonies that shackle your heart, that you're involved in all the time, Things that you set up as ultimate things that you need to be known for. What are the things that you are so convinced that you're doing right that others aren't? And if not right, at least you're doing it authentically. What is that for you? What does it look like? What is your ceremony? For many of us, we have just these immovable hearts because we're radically committed to making for ourselves the best life we can imagine And we just judge other people so easily and all the ways that they don't do it right or they don't do it as well or they do it, they're just phony. 
And yet, here's the thing. Are we so stuck in our ceremonial living that the news of the coming of the Savior of the world is a story that, on the one hand, we're familiar with it. We know this story. And yet, on the other hand, we're really unmoved by it. It doesn't mean anything. We know the story of the coming of Christ. We're unmoved by the story of the coming of Christ. If we are, I would submit to you this. This is a hard word for Christmas, but just hang with me. If we're unmoved by the story of the coming of Christ, I would submit to you that it is because on a deep heart level, we don't see what in the world the coming of Jesus has to do with me. And this springs as much from who we think we are as it does from who we think Jesus is. So what religion are you chief priest over? What is your ceremony? Does it move you to investigate the coming of Christ? Or does it draw from you and from your tribe this collective yawn? That's pretty bleak. Let's end with the best. The third response, the beings, the angels. They're in this story. You see it, but you don't really see it. We read the Bible in, in, in what I call Bible speak, where we read it and we say, okay, um, it goes like this. Shepherds were watching the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Glory of the Lord shone around. They were terrified. The angels said, an angel of the Lord just appeared to shepherds and a light shone in darkness and they were terrified. But we read it like it's, like it's familiar. But see, here's, here's what the passage tells us. It just goes right by us, but listen. An angel appears. One. The glory of the Lord is shining around these shepherds. They're looking at this one angel. The angel, singular, says to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people in the city of David today as a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He's born to you. This will be a sign to you. You're going to find him. It's one. And as soon as he does this, verse 13 tells us, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This, just, just get your mind around this for a second. We're seeing in Scripture the behavior of angels. If you've ever wondered how angels behave, here it is. What's happening? In my mind, it's like, it's like one angel got the honor of appearing to the shepherds to bring them this news. And all the others were like, okay, you got the honor, but as soon as you're done, we are showing up because this is awesome. This is the best news ever. And so he gets through his little spiel and then all of a sudden from, from around this celestial corner, they just burst onto the scene singing and praising God. The shepherds are now terrified again, right? Because they're just everywhere. But this is their response. And if we're wise, there should be something in us that would say, the angel's response to the news that the angel gave to the shepherd probably fits the weight and the glory of the announcement. They probably are responding very appropriately to this news that in the city of David, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. They can't contain their praise. And even if it doesn't move us in the same way, 
There should be something in us that says, that awakens a curiosity that would say, all right, I didn't get all that. (laughs) But man, were they excited. I want to investigate this. Who do the angels understand themselves to be? I don't know. I'm not one. But I think that we could say with pretty good certainty they understand that they have a front row seat to the redemption and salvation of humanity. They're watching something happen that is, like we've been talking about for a few weeks now, like a meteor that is headed straight for earth and colliding with it and knocking this place into an orbit all its own. And they're seeing it happen. Paul writes what the angels see in 2 Corinthians. He says this, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus was born poor for our sake, and he lived poor for our sake, and he died poor for our sake, so that we would become rich. Rich in what sense? The angels give the shepherds this answer, that Jesus would bring peace with God to those on whom his favor rests. Peace with God is the reason Jesus came. This is the riches that he gives us, broken and poor. He restores us to this relationship with our maker that we were made for, where there are no outsiders. There's only insiders who are on the mind of God, who are not forgotten. Jesus came to make peace by paying the wage of my sin for me and reconciling me to God from the manger to the cross. He never counted the comforts of this world more precious than me. From the manger to the cross, he never counted the comforts of this world more precious than you. Never. Not only is peace with God the best gift Jesus could give, it is exceedingly more glorious than we will ever understand it to be, this side of glory. And yet here the window of heaven opens and we see the angels celebrating what we only see through a glass darkly. But let me leave you with this thought. What the angel is telling the shepherds and what he's telling us is this whole world is the stable. This whole place is unclean. This whole place is broken and filthy and we're all outsiders. Our relationship with God is broken by our sin And God is doing something about that. He is restoring us, though we are poor. And sometimes it's a poverty of life that makes us look and feel like outsiders here. Sometimes it's a poverty of life where we're just slaves to ceremony and we're unmoved by any of the good news that the Lord would bring us. But to us, a child has been born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What is your response? Is it a yawn of disinterest? Is it perhaps an awakening of curiosity to investigate what is this thing that everybody is talking about? What is this thing that has happened? Or is it the unfettered joy of worship? It doesn't need to be the unfettered joy of worship, if where you really are right now is just in the curiosity to investigate. But understand that if that curiosity is awakened in you, you are on a journey. And you are on a journey 
to an awakening of unfettered joy in worship. It's where this is going. And the angels, they know it. So may the image of the manger where these sacrificial lambs are kept awaken in us this curiosity. May it draw from us a new song, a new magnificat, a song of praise. And may it serve as a reminder that Jesus has come into this world in the same way that he left it, out among the poor, despised, and yet singularly driven by a purpose to ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears to rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel has come to you. You are on the mind of God and you are not forgotten. Respond. Pray with me. Lord, we are, I think of C.S. Lewis talking about the way that we are just have such a hard time grasping glory and the way he describes us as being like children making mud pies in a slum because we can't understand what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Lord, Christmas is, is this time when we are invited to stop and to think about what it means, not just that we have this offer of a holiday at the sea, but that to us a Savior has been born who will reconcile us to you and that the deepest longings of our heart is to know you and to love you. Lord, would you, would you stir that in us? Would you awaken in us a curiosity? Would you lead us through that curiosity to a place of worshipful joy? Thank you for this season. Thank you for appearing to shepherds. Give us the courage to count ourselves among them as spiritually and socially poor outsiders who need to be reconciled to you. Would, you. would you keep us from being people who become slaves to our own ceremony, whether they look religious, whether they look social, whether they look uh, like following certain trends. Lord, would you just show us that? Would you give us the honesty of heart to recognize and to see the places where we have become chief priests over little religions that don't move us to wonder at you, but instead leave us in a place where we're confident of ourselves. Father, just just tear that down, tear that temple down. Father, we pray that you would just go with us now from this place as we go from here, as we sing in response to you this week leading up to Christmas. I pray for all the logistics, all the travel, all the uh, things that are going on in people's lives this week. Lord, would you just just give them a peace and a calm uh, in knowing you. Father, thank you that your word is true. Thank you that you have come to the outsiders, to the unclean, to the alone and that you have brought us into community, and that you have made us clean, and that you have called us your own, your children. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, uh, because without you, none of this would be true. And for your glory, amen and amen.